We're talking about support ministry, and we're going to talk about support ministry connecting to culture. Now, I, I think we, you've gotten a lot of cultural stuff. I just want to talk about you and your role uh, in support ministry, whether you are an associate or an executive pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor, you're over small groups, worship, or, or whatever you do in your role as a team or a business administrator, you're in a support capacity where you're serving a man in his vision, a couple, a married couple in their vision and what they're trying to do. I want to give you uh, just a little background. First thing I want to do is just share with you since Doug was talking about his grandchild. I want to show you my grandkids. I, I threw a picture there. Can we get that thing on? No, this is true. This is not funny. These are real kids that are my kids. <laughs> the, Bobby, what happened? Where are you? We, Bobby Carmody was here and now he's not. Oh, there he goes. Bobby, did you get that? Just show you my, I'll show you my grandkids in, in, in a second here. Uh, but um, it's a great picture, and I'm a proud grandpa. Uh, we, uh, I've been in, uh, I've been in full-time Christian ministry vocationally uh, since I was 26 years old. I'm 61 today. I know I don't look like it, but so you don't need to make a big, uh, you know, response to that. Bob Johnson's my model. Anyway, um, no, teasing a little bit on Bob there. Wasn't that a great session with Bob? He's authentic. Today I'm going to talk about how you need to live with your pastor's authenticity, though. But, uh, I mean, we could all talk about, yeah, hey, I'm just being me. But you have to live with, you know, that person, whether they are. Uh, was 26, so, you know, I've been in this game for about 35 years as far as uh, in ministry. And you say, well, you're a lead pastor now. But it's interesting that I've almost been in support capacity my whole Christian life in, in ministry. Uh, when I came down to, to Bible Temple and go to Bible College, they made me the, the head over the high school, and then I held that job for five years. I worked under, some of you may remember Howdy Sliger. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but worked under him, and I, I worked under uh, Wendell Smith and Wayman Steele and others in the youth department. You know, served on staff with the youth, and I actually ran their evangelism department in the in the sector of our youth group, and then I became the youth pastor of the church, and then uh, they, I became an elder, and I was on the stewardship committee and served that, was an executive pastor for one year with Frank Damasio, and then I went back down and principled the, high, principled the whole Christian school for a year, so I lived in that capacity. Even when I planted my church, I still worked at uh, what's today a city Christian school for almost a year helping them out in a support capacity. And I, I had about two years of freedom where I was, you know, a lead pastor plus nothing else. And then I was asked to come on sometime in that season, maybe four years after starting our church, onto the apostolic leadership team. And once again, I went back into a role of support. Uh, so I, I'm a lead pastor and I work in a support capacity. Then I was acting chairman of MFI, so I kind of became big dog again, only to back away. It wasn't big dog again. I'm vice big dog. And um, so I, I, my, my whole tenure ministry, I've spent the majority of that time, even as a lead pastor of one church, I've been in a support ministry role under someone else. So I, I think I can talk to you on on uh, just out of personal experience here. And, and just let me uh, just say that... Uh, you play an incredible, important role in the overall expansion of the kingdom of God. I have never met a lead pastor who said to me, how you, I asked him, how you're doing? They said, I'm doing great. I don't have a team. 
Uh, no one's supporting me, and uh, we're living the dream. <laughs> I, I have never met a lead pastor who felt that way. Lead pastors feel empowered when their teams are gelling and they're supporting and they're holding their hands up and, and uh, encouraging them and, uh, and uh, moving forward with all their gifts and ministries. The, the, the pastors live in the dream. He just feels like every, all pistons are firing. We're moving forward. The church can't get built without a team. And in the end, when we are judged before the, the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be the position we held. It's going to be the faithfulness to the things God delegated to us that we are going to give an account for. We're going to be rewarded by faithfulness, and the last shall be what? And so there's going to be some reversals, I think. Whatever the heavenly state of reward of works is going to look like, there's going to be some reverses because God is going to judge you on the basis of your faithfulness to what he's invested in your life and your role to play. I, can't dot, I cannot do our church without a great team. And I have a great team back home. J.O. bragged about his team. They do have a great team here at Heart of the City Church. They have a great team here, and uh, they're doing a great job. So J.O. and Radine's success can be contributed to a great team that is, that is here functioning. So I just want to tell you that you're important. And you're here because you love Jesus, and you're here because... You love your pastors, and you love your church, and you, and you want to make it successful, and that's why you're here, and you're in that particular place. So before I get into just a few little principles and bring up a panel discussion, I just want to brag a little bit about my family. Got that picture now? We're getting close. Okay, we're going to. Okay, it's going to. Okay, thanks, Seth. I don't know why I wanted to do that. It was just such a great picture. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about just real quickly servanthood, because that's really what you're doing. You're serving. You're serving a church, you're serving people, you're serving your pastor. Servanthood is uh, the bottom line in my, in my take, in my view of New Testament theology. It is the, the bottom line of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, I did not come to serve, or I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. So what did Jesus do? He came to serve and to give his life away. That's very interesting. I have someone in my church who, who actually can just dissect the Bible, incredible gift of revelation, and he and his wife both are that way, but they just felt like God's going to give them a church, and they just more and more separated themselves away from the in and out daily activities of our church and working with people and everything else. There's my family. Those are my grandkids. Now, the, the one I'm holding there, that is, that is Georgia. If some of you are familiar with my son-in-law, Chad Beach, just wrote a book called Unreasonable Hope. It's about Georgia. Georgia has a condition called lysencephaly, where the smooth brain disorder, where the folds in her brain did not form. And uh, she has to be tube fed, and she's got mass seizures. But this was a good day, and we took a Christmas picture. The young lady holding my right knee, is, that's Meriwether. She's my youngest. She's my youngest daughter's baby. And then my wife is holding the two newest additions to the flock. On her left is Maverick Veach, and that's Chad and Julia Veach's baby with a blue cap with the rabbit ears or whatever those things are. And then next to her, that's, uh, that's Wit. That's not short for Whitney, it's Wit. It's just Wit for humor. He's going to be a funny kid because his parents are hilarious. And then standing a the little girl there, that's, that's Ramona. We call her Roro. That's my daughter, Natalie, my second born. I have four daughters. They all have children. 
So basically, six out of these eight kids are in diapers. Next to her is Winston Beach, okay, handsome, good-looking kid, with his cousins to his right, Scout, the oldest at five, and then Wallace. And I appreciate Wallace. We just had him out at Lake Vancouver, and he thought it would be funny to take his pants down and take a dump right on the beach. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. I love my grandkids. I love my grandkids. It's just a uh, great sense of humor. He was, my wife took him to one of these places where there's a lot of animals, and this lady had this, this pet dog, and the kids were playing with it, and she was bonding with my two grandsons way over on, I'll be on my left in the picture, on my right on my picture, and she says, do you have pet? And Wallace, very serious, he's, he's four years old. We have a cat. He's dead. I'll leave. Oh, no, no, no. Scout trying to clean up the situation. No, he came with the house. <laughs> so I love kids. And so those are our grandkids, a pride of our life, my beautiful wife in the middle of that. So just thought it's my grandkids. Why? I don't know. I just wanted to do it. Okay, let's take it off the screen now. Let's get back on to servanthood. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 29, that, that he knew us and he chose us before, before the foundations of the earth. He chose us that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So the, the, the image of the son is sacrificial service where he gave his life as a ransom for many. There's nothing that looks more like Jesus than servanthood. It's the essence of what he came to do. We like he came to rescue. Yes, he came to rescue, but as he came to rescue, he came to give his life away. And so servanthood is the bottom line. But in doing that, you experience a number of things in this relationship, and they're not here right now. If they snuck in, God bless you. But in your, your, your lead pastor, face it, your lead pastor is a wonderful, wonderful man of God. But your lead pastor is also a human being. There's parts of his makeup as a human being that are just like weaknesses. It could be vulnerability in character. For instance, I'll be truthful with you. When I get really tired and exhausted and overwhelmed, I don't, I don't think real well. And I don't process real well, and I can get kind of dark and negative. So I have to really watch getting too tired. That's kind of hard since I've also I got MFI and I do and I do my own local church with that. That's something my team has to live with. And we have Garden Gethsemane meetings. You ever had a Garden of Gethsemane meeting with your pastor, you know? <laughs> Stay with me for a while. I'm overcome with sorrow. I had one of those last week. <laughs> In fact, my executive pastor texted me. I don't think we should meet Thursday night with the elders. I think Last week was a little bit too heavy. I, it was. It was a Garden of Gethsemane thing. I, I walked away saying, what an idiot, Bob. You were an idiot in that meeting. <laughs> live with their weakness. You also have to live with their quirks and their idiosyncrasies. That you, you're never going to cast it out. You're never going to change it. <laughs> their idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, they, they are. They're just, they're just that way. The way they approach things. The way they do things. And uh, it's just going to be who they are. I mean, I, I, Pastor Frank, for instance, let's just talk about Pastor Frank. Pastor Frank is a genius, if you haven't, you haven't observed yet. He, he will tweak something over and over and over and over and over again until till almost launch time. So if, we're, if we had to put a plan together, it's going to be tweaked and tweaked again and tweaked again and tweaked again. So I'm ne when I'm in a meeting with him, whatever we decide, I hold very loosely. 
because I don't want to get too wrapped in it because I know he's going to evolve it until he finally almost comes up to the plate. We might be changing something right here at the seat before he gets up here. He's always going to be that way. It's not bad. It's not good. It's, it's neutral. It's who he is. He's, an, he's a genius who's like ADHD. And that's what he is. That's who he is. I think he read the New Testament in one day when he got saved. I mean, he just, he's just a brilliant guy. So you work with that. And you know you work with that. And then you got character weaknesses. So what, so what happens to you in support ministry in doing this? I hope what you get out of this is a good attitude when you leave. Well, one, one you get sometimes less honor. You get less honor financially. If you're on staff getting paid, you really don't get honored financially if you're a volunteer. <laughs> Publicly, in the esteem of people, you know, they just, you'd be spending time with somebody because the doesn't spend time with them. They're kind of upset with the church. and You feel like you've really been spending time with them, but you're kind of not good enough. I mean, you're just, I, I need that particular person. I mean, you're facing it. You're, you're going to get in this thing, and you're going to just decide ahead of time, I may not get as much honor as my pastor. The second thing, you've got to cover their nakedness. You've got to cover their human weaknesses. You've got to cover their mistakes. You know, do you know what so-and-so did? I know, I know. He's an idiot. You can't do that. You can't, you know, I go through it all the time. <laughs> know exactly what you're thinking about. You can't do that. Cover their nakedness. Well, you got to understand. I mean, that was not what he meant when he did that. And you probably didn't have the right information. You're always, you're always, you know, spinning this thing, doing all these things. Because you have to. Because if you don't, they'll eat them alive. They'll have no one to support them and help them through the scenario. And it gets a lot worse than it really needs to be. You're going to have to endure their weaknesses and quirks. Like I said, you're going to have to... You're not going to change them. You're going to have to endure them. Now, it's amazing to me. I've been married almost 38 years to Sue, how much she has to put up with me. And well, sometimes we have these painful talks, like let's have coffee. We're talking. We kind of get a little gut level. And I've been thinking, you've been living with that type of frustration with me for all these years? You know, sometimes there, you know, there's this, this little thing that I do, and finally she kind of brings it out and, you know, you're always doing this. I do? You've been doing it our whole marriage. I have. You know. She's had to endure me in some areas. She loves me to death, but sometimes she's had to endure me in some areas. You're going to have to sacrifice predictability and control. In other words, they need you when it's not convenient for you. I need a meeting at my house, emergency meeting tonight. You're ready to go out on a date and a dinner or something like that. And all of a sudden, you have to switch plans. Now, when you're a lead pastor... You meet when it's convenient for you. I was going to tell you the way it is. I love being a lead pastor. <laughs> the one thing I noticed about this, I get to call meetings when it's right for me. And then when everyone else is all frustrated, you know, I know how they feel, but it feels good on my side, so I don't really care. And, uh, <laughs> but you have to be loose. You, you, you think you're going to do this this week, and all of a sudden your pastor adjusts it because of what he needs from you that week and so there's a, there's a flexibility that is required out of you a lot of people don't even realize the flexibility that, you, that that's required out of you here's a tough one you have to cooperate with with plans that you know will fail 
This is getting like real. Now, it's not that every time a lead pastor makes a plan, it's going to fail, but they're human beings. Every plan is not it, but sometimes they're determined. They are determined. I know we got to do this, and I want to do it. And you're thinking, man, it's just, it's not going to work. You're thinking in your mind, you made your appeal, and it's just, you got to go with the plan. Some of you come from military backgrounds. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you just can't say, I'm boycotting your plan. You have to cement, go forward, even though you think the plan's going to fail. You've done your best to change it, but you've got to make it best effort to, to make it work. And you have to endure that. You're going to have to be corrected sometimes unjustly. What do you mean? It's awful quiet. It's You know, one of, the, one of the things about Dick Iverson, and I was under Dick, and I was under uh, Frank, and, um, and, and both in a support capacity. Sometimes Brother Dick didn't remember when he made a decision with you. And um, it wasn't all the time. I mean, I want to I make sure I cover his nakedness. Uh, but uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm letting you know that the, the rosy glass world is, does not exist. It, and sometimes you forget we made a decision. And every year we had a calendar planning meal. I'll never forget this. There's about 20 department heads, big church, you know, 150 staff, 3,000 people, and Bible college, Christian school, so on and so forth. And, and we had to throw our dates out on our calendars and everything. And, and I wanted to do, I forget even the ministry I wanted to do, but I got his green light on it. Because so I said, mark this down, let's just say May 15th, I'm going to be doing this thing here on this Saturday. And, and Dick Iverson in front of everybody, you're going to what? I said, we're going to be doing that. I never gave you permission to do that. Well, yeah, we did. No, I know if we talked about it. And so I don't approve that at all. And so I got, I got corrected in front of the group. And I, I knew I was being tested. You say, well, that's just unfair. Well, nothing's fair. The cross wasn't fair. Suck it up. I just, you know, I just knew that something disconnected and I knew that he didn't remember the conversation and I wasn't going to dishonor him in front of the group and it probably wasn't going to persuade him that we did make that decision so this is not a hill worth fighting for take your lick take your lick what did you do I forgave I was patient I continued to honor him and let it just pass. It was interesting. Bill Scheidler came to me after the meeting and says, I know exactly what happened in that, in that scenario. I said, Bill, I, had a, I made the decision with him. He goes, I, I know, Bob, I know. I know you did. But that happens sometimes. And we just lived with a weakness, and I wasn't going to convince Brother Dick. He was dug in. He didn't get permission. But as I remember, later on, as I gave it to the Lord, he actually gave me the green light to do it. He thought it was a great idea. I think he went and thought about it. But I could have made things a lot worse by fighting and accusing. God knows where you're at. He hears your groanings and cries. <laughs> and you never think that God is going to vindicate you as a staff member, but he will. He's, his, justice is going to watch out for you. You weren't heard in the beginning. All of a sudden, you're going to be reheard with something God initiates. And you can trust that. So the thing you have to understand is God's watching. God's testing too. God's looking at your responses also. 
Let me say, these are other wonderful things you deal with. You've got to submit to changes. All of a sudden, I want to tweak this. I don't want this in your department anymore. You don't like the change, but no one really likes changes, and change is coming from the outs, you know, from above you down. And okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to change this thing. I'm gonna have to submit to this change, and and it's gonna be uncomfortable, and you may feel like it's a little bit unfair, or they don't have the total feel. Once again, you gotta trust God. You're not gonna be, you're gonna be unrecognized for what you do. There's a lot of lead pastors who get their name in the paper and at conferences, people just think they're the greatest thing since cracked ice and, uh, and it was your work that did it. I was just talking to a young man who wanted me to father him from another church and he was sharing with me as to who took all his ministry stories and everything he was doing and he put it in his book as if the pastor did it. And how he had to endure particular things. A lot of churches that are successful because of the support ministry underneath them, but it's the lead pastor who gets the credit. I want to just say that's the nature of the beast. That's always going to be that way. A lead football coach can have an incredible defensive coordinator, an incredible offensive coordinator, maybe the best line coach around in the country. He's going to look like an incredible winner but it was his team of assistants that really made it happen all the time. Some go through where your thoughts and your ideas are not listened to. You got a great idea for the ministry. You got a great idea for the church. You got a great idea how we can change something. And you just, you just feel like it kind of falls on deaf ears. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes pastors need to, um, they need to mull over. They need to... They need to meditate. They need to reflect on it. They're not going to give you an instant answer. Sometimes they'll come back to that. But you have to live. I'm going to toss it out, and I have to give it to God. It's a very unique ministry you have, support ministry. It is challenging in all these areas that uh, I shared. And so servanthood absolutely requires humility. In other words, you are placing significance on the person you're serving more than you are yourself. That's why I don't trust any ministry that has not first served in a support capacity. What, what matters to me is, was that person given a silver spoon in their mouth or did they serve in a capacity that you're in before they got leadership in their particular church? Because I know if they did, God worked humility and character and uh, selflessness into their temperament. We know Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the verse before says, let each, eat, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, and let everyone esteem others better than themselves. I mean, this is the, this is the attitude we got to possess. I'm serving someone else. that are more important than me. Man. Why does God do all this to us? To make you like Jesus. See, that's that simple. How many people have read the book, The Tale of Three Kings? Tale of Three Kings, some have a controversy with this particular book, but it, 
basically is a tale of Solomon, I mean, David, Solomon, and, and, and uh, no, David, excuse me, Saul, David, and, um, and uh, Absalom. It's a great book. I read it in one setting that deals with attitude and response preparing you for glory. You know, I got a guy I'm going to bring to my church late August. I've known him for years. Support ministry just like you. He's not even a lead pastor today. I don't even know if he's ever been in a lead pastor role, maybe for a short span. But in his close to probably 30 years of serving the body of Christ, he's been in support capacity. But all of a sudden, this brother is starting to move in the word of knowledge and healings with power. I'm talking deaf ears, blind eyes. And um, he's starting to get a name for himself. Like, you need to bring this guy in because he has the goods. There's power in him. There's authority in him. You know where he got that authority? He got that authority by being humble and coming down and serving where God says, you know what, I can invest in this guy because I can trust him. God's working something in you. He's working humility in you. Before I bring my panel discussion, one of the greatest reasons why Two of the greatest reasons in closing why you're in your role. And the first is this, because servanthood in your capacity encourages, strengthens, and refreshes the one that you're serving under. You know, Joshua was known in Joshua 1.1 as Moses' servant. Elisha was known for the one who washed the hands of Elijah. But I love 2 Timothy. And listen to this particular scripture in 2 Timothy. As uh, Paul, is, Paul is talking about, I'm doing good. I have uh, lost my place in my it's a beautiful Bible. Maybe it's in first, oops. There we go, I got it. It's verse 16, I'm the wrong verse. 2 Timothy 1.16. He says, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Now, you listen to this. He let the Lord show mercy on that house because he refreshed me. You know, I, I had a unique experience, and it's kind of emotional a little bit to me because the person who sent me the text two weeks ago just passed away last night suddenly. And uh, I had meditated on the scripture in my devotions about two weeks ago about Aaron and her and the power of support in raising, raising Moses' hands. I was, going through a, I was going through a thing emotionally, just having that need as a lead pastor that someone would hold my hands up. And this brother who wasn't a part of our church moved to another part of the country, sent me a text an hour later. I said, God just gave me this verse for you. He wants to encourage you, just like Aaron and her lifted the hands of Moses. I text him, man, it was the very verse I've been meditating on. But the issue is every pastor with all their quirks and all their weaknesses, all their fears, all their emotions, all the stuff that they go through, they need you putting courage in them. Remember the tribe of Reuben, Manasseh, and Gad? They said to Joshua, only be strong and of good courage. Only be strong and of good courage. And that's what you do. You put that in them. And when your gifts come together in synergy, 
to to the body becomes what it's supposed to be the house is so i just want to encourage you in your moral role what you're doing i laid all those things out because i just wanted to let you know i know your pain i know your frustrations and if i could talk one-on-one with every one of you i bet there's a story in every one of you things you had to yield to and give up and give in and suck up and flex and be flexible and you've all been through that but that's the nature of the game there's no place where people don't have to do that in a team capacity but what you're doing you're putting courage in your pastor what you're doing you're strengthening him and all your gifts together in that synergy is building the body of Christ at the end of the day Jesus gets glorified Amen. I'm going to just ask uh, to come on up here. I want Don Lynn to come up here from Heart of the City and Lon Stokes from Life Church in Walla Walla. Nate Swanson from New City and Great Falls. If you guys can come on up here. Cool. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the I'm going to be the moderator here. We have a we have Bobby, we have a mic on the floor. We got there, Craig. We got a mic on the floor. We're going to ask questions. I just want to I just want to just ask first, real quickly, and you guys have a mic, are you going to take this mic from me? You guys got your all mic'd up? We're good. I didn't, I didn't wow. get a headset. <laughs> just, I didn't want one. <laughs> Tell me what your role is at uh, Heart of the City. Uh, I'm, I'm the executive pastor. And being the executive pastor, what is it that you actually do here? Um, uh, I am, am transitioning out of the administrator role, uh, and also I have done a lot of pastoral things. Uh, I'm in transition as my wife. You're going to go plant a church. In October. Yeah. In Honduras. Yeah. So. That's exciting. So let's pretend six months back, and so mm-hmm. I'm asking you what you do at city, Heart of the City Church. So what do you do? You administrate? Ad- administrate, pastor, um, Personally, internally, one of my uh, most heartfelt responsibilities is as Jalen Radian's armor bearer. Okay, yeah, so you're, you're a therapist. <laughs> no, no, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Okay, so you, you know, one of your strongest responsibilities and intangible is the spirit of encouragement. Absolutely, yeah. And um, Jalen Radian need as much encouragement as anybody. People don't realize that, but yeah. they need always yeah. a constant putting faith into their heart that they can do that sure. yeah plus administration plus mm-hmm. you did small groups here didn't you no you didn't do no, small uh, groups. we did uh, marriages marriage counseling um, missions yeah, yeah. missions okay so a lot calls of roads. Me the, he calls me the crazy glue yeah it's crazy yeah. Glue. so a lot yeah. of roads led to you yes sir okay yeah. excellent yeah. all right Lon, what was your responsibility or what is your responsibility you're, you're still got a job what, what is um <laughs> <laughs> Responsibility at Life Church. Uh, I'm an elder there and the associate pastor as well. Uh, some of the departments would be men's ministry, the prayer team, and uh, and then lately we've been working a lot in the discipleship, trying to develop our discipleship. You've been with Bob a long time. Yeah, 13 years. Now. 13 years. Now. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Excellent. 
All right, Nate, what's your responsibility at City? Uh, the, uh, the new city. That's the new church. Be new Great city, Falls. yeah. It used to be yeah. Great Falls Christian Fellowship. Great Falls Christian Center. <laughs> center. Yes. Center. Yeah. It was a yeah. center, not a fellowship. Right, right. Okay. Uh, I'm the executive pastor, and uh, in our world, that means kind of covering for Bob while he's gone as much as possible, kind of helping the staff to just stay on course, um, uh, overseeing uh, events and outreach and uh, leadership development, that kind of thing. Tell me, Don, you kind of already been a little self-disclosed here. Tell me, um, when you get up in the morning, do your job, what is the, the, maybe a, a major driving motive for what you do and why you do it? Personally, I mean, there, there was, I've been a believer my whole life. Um, but there was a, a period of seven or eight years where I just was spiritually dead and um so i i don't feel like i'm i'm having to do penance or make up for that but knowing the time that i wasted really motivates the time that i have left and so the work that i want to do is it's really about um the kingdom of god and and supporting the the movement here at heart of the city church and and so jo radine but that also includes the rest of the staff as well and so being able to bring all of these strings together so that, that the lost are, are found, that, that's kind of, but yeah, some of it's, uh, I don't know if it's, it's healthy, but some of it's regret over, over time that I, that I wasn't accomplishing what God's purpose and plan was for my life. So when you get up in the morning, you want to redeem the time? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. you want to make every second count yes, for sir. the sake of the kingdom. You want to make this place a bigger, better place and yes, a sir. more effective place. That's team, the way the team connects with each other. Mm-hmm. So there's a real moral issue that drives you on what you're doing. Yeah. Lon, how about you? You know, I, I think one of the things that drives me is um, I was the lead pastor for 21 years, and I had a very similar experience to Pastor Bob Johnson uh, when I was a lead pastor, just that overwhelming sense of loneliness uh, that affected me in the early years. And, uh, and now that I'm on staff uh, with Bob, one of the things that I really want to do is be the kind of strength that would keep him from having uh, too many of those feelings, be there for him when um, things get tough, as he did for all of us that have been in any kind of a ministry from time to time. So. One of the things that drives me is I know that we'll reach the most number of people with the gospel um, as long as I am able to strengthen him and support him any way I can. It's going gonna, it's gonna to further the vision of the whole church and fur- further the advancement of Christ's gospel. So what you've gone through in your life, it actually has produced a, a compassion within you for lead pastors and, of course, feeling led to be with Bob that that this is what he needs from me because I know that I needed it when, I, when the yeah, roles were reversed. Yeah, very much, right down to even the mistakes that I made when I was a lead pastor. Uh, you know, there's two teachers. You can learn from other people or you can learn from your own experience and your own experience sometimes means bones or you, there was a consequence to doing the wrong thing. But the positive spin on that in Christ is that somehow he still redeems us and still helps us mm-hmm. and uses all those weaknesses and mistakes that we had now to, to try to help somebody else avoid them or, or at least uh, be able to encourage a person when they do make those mistakes too. So, yeah, it's helped me 
It's excellent how it's, it's amazing how God develops a life message in us, isn't it? Yeah, big time. Amen. Big Nate, time. how about you? What's the driving motive when you go to work every day and you approach church and your ministry? Uh, well, let me maybe emphasize instead what sustains me, because I think there's times when I probably feel less driven um, toward the right things, toward the kingdom of God, and sometimes I can just get really selfish and ambitious. And, but what sustains me in terms of my support role is I know two things unequivocally. Jesus owns me, and Jesus called me to Great Falls. And, uh, man, I, I think there was a lot of young, youthful ambitious uh, ambition in me all kinds of just selfish ambition in me that, um, that I had to let go of in my early years at, at now New City Church. And um, I, gotta, I gotta come back to that, you know, consistently. Especially when, when things feel unfair or they feel, you know, somehow like it's not, like we're not quite living the dream yet, you know. Um, I have to come back to that. Jesus owns me and he's called me to Great Falls. And, uh, so what drives me, I think, uh, I, I'm, ultimately, I'm really, really grateful. We got a phenomenal team. I mean, Bob, Bobby is a great pastor. He's a great friend. He's a great father-in-law. He's all of those things, yeah. I married his daughter. That's really the only way I got the job. So, um, <laughs> but uh, no, sincerely, I, I am really, really grateful. Uh, at the core of who I am, I'm grateful. But there's times I'm not at the core of who I am, and I'm not feeling grateful. I think Bob actually suggested I was a part of this panel because I... I'm the worst at this among everybody else on our team. And uh, I actually, I was joking with Bob, with Bob McGregor earlier. He said, I think we're kind of talking about the, um, the challenges and the, and the things that can just irritate us in the support role. And I said, I'm perfect for this. I'm a very irritable person and I'll be a great contributor if that's our subject matter. <laughs> so. what, I, what I appreciated though, what you said, and there's two things. One, every church has all the frustrations and, and, and all the stresses that kind of make you come back to roots why I'm here. Yeah. Heart of the city, City Harvest Church, City Bible Church. Don't, do not deceive yourself that somehow that church over there is like Shangri-La and they're, they're just constant <laughs> loving each other and they never get tired of each other. They never <laughs> question each other. You know, I don't believe that we can do the New Testament unless we're getting in community like this where we have to be tempted to bite and devour one another. <laughs> it's simple. I mean, if you're all by yourself with your Bible, and, you know, in a cave, tempted to bite and devour anybody. Yeah. But when you're working with team and quirks and the quirks of a lead pastor and the other members of the team... I mean, they burn you out. You burn them out. And we have to endure each other. So we grow. And you have to come back to that thing that Nate said, and that's duty. That was the second thing. Is, yeah, that's really kind of uh, really uncharacteristic of your generation, though. And if you look at builders, boomers, and millennials, they have a whole bunch of different values. I mean, there was people back in the 1930s, we lived for our company and our corporation, and and we, we live and die. They'll take care of us in retirement. And yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, Boeing is it. You know, we just, that, that was that generation. This generation, they're going to rip me off. I'm going to mm. control my own, my own destiny. Different generation. So, but there is this place. God owns me, and he called me to Great Falls. I think we've got to come back to placement and planting and connected by God in the spirit to endure one another. Yeah. I made a covenant with my wife. We said some unique words, better or for worse. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why do they do that? Hmm. Well, that's what we go through sometimes <laughs> where I'm better <laughs> and I'm worse. Okay. And uh, <laughs> she had to make a covenant. So I appreciate that. That's just honest. And it does sustain you. It does mm-hmm. get you through. Now, if I came to uh, you and uh, asked you guys, counsel, here I am. I just, I just, let's just say I came on staff, or I'm a volunteer, but they gave me a, a couple of departments in the church. My pastor's really leaning into me, and man, this is kind of new. I've really got more responsibility in the church, and I want to do a good job and support capacity. I'd like you to disciple me, and uh, just kind of help me today, and what kind of advice, general advice, would you give me? And Dom, I'll start with you. Um, the first thing I would, I would uh, ask you is, do you trust your pastor? Ooh. Do you trust him? And because if you don't trust him or you don't trust the vision or his call, you're never going to be able to successfully support them. So that would be my first question mm. is, do you trust them? That's good. How about you, Lon? I think I'd ask him if, or her, uh, if she understood what a bullseye means for the pastor and the vision of the church. In other words, do you understand what a win looks like right. for Life Church? Um, because then I think it wraps whatever situation is around the context of a win for us. And if they understand that, then the quirks and the peculiarities or differences, um, they get ironed out because we're all aiming at the same thing, even if we aim at it different ways. So we get a clear definition of what does it look like to win. Yeah. That's a good one. Craig Rochelle talks about that all the time. And, you know, find a, find a short-term win would be mm-hmm. a win for us and celebrate it. And, you sure. know, it's one thing your church is very good at is celebrating the win. Yeah. Which is very true. And, you know, Bob, it's about the gospel, mm-hmm. gospel environment. Right. You know, that, that's, that's, he bleeds with that particular yeah. reality in him. So you know what he's looking for. Yeah. So that's good. That's a very good point. Very good point. Nate, what would you do if you were discipling me? Here I am. I'm new. I'm in a support ministry. And what would you yeah. help me? I think a, a question we commonly ask people, whether they're on staff or recruiting them into a volunteer position, is uh, do you really believe this is something Jesus wants you to do? This is something that he's calling you to? Because I think, frankly, like I, I can be a, a pretty charismatic recruiter. And um, I learned a long time ago that when I talk somebody into doing something or I enlist them to be on my team or to be mentored by me or whatever, um, if that's not really a God thing that they really sense in their heart that he's calling them to, then it really never lasts long. It never goes well. And so um, just really back to the basics of, all right, is this something that Jesus wants you to do? And then in that process, I try to tell them, listen, there are challenges in this that you cannot foresee and I cannot foresee. There are roadblocks, there are thresholds that you're going to have to cross that I can't even yet prepare you for. But if Jesus called you to this, then he knows. He knows what you're going to face next, and he's going to be the one that sees you through. Cool. I want to talk for a second about boundaries. There's a a popular word. (laughs) Boundaries can be good. Boundaries can be used to cover up selfishness. Uh, You know, know, I don't serve people because I have boundaries. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) People come to me, I'm leaving City Harvest Church. It's just not safe anymore. I I say, man, I'm jealous. I have to stay. But uh, boundaries, obviously, you've got to protect your virtue or, you know, where you're at, your health, 
you know, your emotions, your family time, you know, just there's just certain things that you have to do. And you get hit both from underneath by people and from above from your pastor. I mean, I've, I've pressed into boundaries on, on my own team and they've had to talk with me about it. How do you protect your boundaries? Nate, I'm gonna start with you. Okay, uh, mine will be really quick and easy because I, I think Bob is better about drawing boundaries for me than I have. And I, th I think it should be, probably be different because Bob's a much older leader than, than the guys that you guys are, are serving. And so for me, he, he's told me for years, I want you to be in this for the marathon, not for the sprint. And then probably the one more careful to make sure I'm guarding my time. And uh, he's way less demanding of me than I am of, of him and of myself. So these guys, they'll have more wisdom on this well, one. How about the people, when the, Bob's doing a great job and blessing, releasing you. Right. But then there's this thing called the people. Right, yeah, I'm really good at saying no, so. <laughs> so you're good at saying no. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, I, I think, um, you know, I am a type A kind of guy, and really, legitimately, I think, because Bob has kind of mentored that into me over the years, it really doesn't bother me at all. I'm, I'm not, like, you should have Lee Barrows up here on this one. He's so much nicer and more gracious and probably more torn in this arena. I really have a very easy time saying no. You know, I love you and everything, but you'll make it, you know. You. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I mean, how many emergencies have we seen over the years just really aren't that urgent, you know? It's so... I love my kids and I want them to grow up loving me and loving the church and loving Jesus and they're never going to get there if I'm always at the beck and call. So. Try prayer. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are times when we try to tell our kids consistently, you know, we, we, it's not just propaganda, but we try to help them see like, man, we're really blessed to be a part of what we're, what we're doing. And, and so when we, like, when we'll take a trip like this, we used to see it as uh, more time away from the kids or a missions trip or a ministry trip. Now we try to take one or two w with us to say, hey, this is part of what we do. This is what you're contributing toward. And this is what you do. Um, and, you know, we'll have people in our homes. We'll be late night meetings. We try to strategize around that. We, you know, put the kids to bed by about 8.30, and then we'll do meetings starting at 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And we'll, in a sense, almost put the pressure on the rest of our church family saying, hey, if you're going to meet, we'll meet late so that my kids don't have to sacrifice time with mom and dad. And, and honestly, I think that imparts something into the life of our church as well. Like, I think that's healthy for the people to see that, it's important to have a balanced home life, you know, and to, and to prioritize those things. So, Very good. Sorry, that was pretty scattered, but no, just good. a few shotgun thoughts. It, it was a good scattered, it was a good scattered statement. Lon? A couple things. I, I think my wife, Teresa, really helps me there. She's a great thermometer for me. And so sometimes I'll come home and mention, okay, I got this and we got this. And, and she'll, what? You know, and be able to share. Well, don't you remember that we had... And, and she really helped bring me back into a, a balance, really helps me balance, balance myself that way so that I'm able to say no when I can say no and able to have some foresight so that when those things come up, I'm ready with a schedule just in a practical way to help with some of that. So she, she really helps me that way. I think the other thing is just uh, years. I, I used to be, my pastor is fantastically uh, motivated for the gospel and, and, the, and the vision of the church. And uh, I not only admire him for that, I respect him for that. Um, but he's, he's a bit ADD too. You know, we call him the ever ready bunny because he can, <laughs> he can go and go and go. And uh, I, I have an advantage in that I was wired like that when I was younger. I was, I was a little bit more type A and driven and, 
And, uh, but how many of you know that life and circumstances, they pull some of that type A out of you and you know, you wind up being H-I-J-K uh, or something down the alphabet <laughs> uh, after, after you've been through it a while. <laughs> And, and, I've heard of those uh, and so, <laughs> hell intimidated, yeah. Jack, whatever. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then uh, uh, I think that helps because I know what it's like to be to be driven. And but I also know that um, Jesus leads us. He doesn't drive us. And uh, I, I want to be able to lead and, and even help Bob in those different times so that he has time with his family. So that he doesn't sacrifice his kids on the altar of ministry, but teaches him to minister out of love for Jesus and people. Um, and, and so anyway, I can do that anyway, I can bring balance to the situation. I think one of the reasons God has me there at a later stage of life is that he's pulled some of that stuff out of me and uh, hopefully it's helpful. Excellent answer. Don, how about you? I know all of my, my teammates are like, what is he gonna say? Because I am the worst at this. As far there's, as setting, there's, a setting song, boundaries. there's a song in the, the play Oklahoma, and it's the, she says, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Well, I'm a guy who can't say no. It really doesn't matter what it is, whether it's J.O., one of my, my uh, teammates, or whether it's somebody saying, man, I need to talk to a pastor. I, I really, I'll be really honest with you there. I, I could feel the air suck out of the room when you asked that question because they were like, what is he going to say? So, um, I, I will tell you this, <clears throat> J.O. and Radine have been really good about trying to coach me in this area, about uh, saving my virtue, making sure that I, you know, pour into my family. I, I'm, I'm in between these two in that, that my daughters are older, um, 19 and 21, and so I have had more flexibility to be able to stay longer, do more things. Um, I think that God had me here at Heart of the City Church during this season because that was what he needed me to be. No, oh, that's true. And so now that the building is done, uh, you know, we've got Bobby and Amber coming on, uh, joining the team. And, and so I think it'll, it'll have a different tone and a different pace. Um, what I'm trying to, between now and October, is where do I draw those boundaries? Because uh, my world's going to be very different. And so I need to be able to, to say no. And so sure. I appreciate, uh, you know, Nate's perspective on that because um, um, right now, I'm, yeah, I'm just not very good at saying no. All right. One last tough, tougher question for me, and I'll open up the audience. It's 114. And guess what? Frank's still teaching. <laughs> how, do you, how do you approach your pastor when you disagree with them? Very poorly. Okay, and uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. There was more you, to that. You disagree with them, and you're gonna and you're gonna try and maybe change their thinking. Which okay, so I because this is a part of the role. You're not there just to be a yes man. Well, I've never been accused of that. <laughs> So you're going to try and change Pastor Bob without exposing him and it, you know, about a situation and you, you, feel you have a different idea or a different perception and you want him to listen to you and how do you approach that? Yeah, I, sincerely, we, I mean, we have very 
uh, we're both fairly confrontive, you know, we're both fairly, uh, very upfront communicators. Um, and when I see something or, or uh, yeah, I, I, I really don't, yeah, I use, I, I think I've gotten better at this. I think I've gotten better at slowing my stuff down and using more tact. And there's kind of a joke around our office that like when Bob's whistling, you can ask for anything, you know, if you, you know, it's a good day, you know, you know, you could, that's the time to, that's the time to blow the budget. That's the time to suggest something <laughs> radical. If he's whistling. Let me help you out. I'm going to start sending him a text. Are yeah. you whistling today? <laughs> yeah. 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 Text me if you ever have something big yeah, yeah. to ask Dave, Bob. Dave, yeah. go ahead and ask Is it him. It's a whistling day. He Wait said he'll tomorrow. listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I think, I, I mean, very honestly, I've really, I've blown it several times in just pushing too hard or pushing too soon. And I'm sure Lee Barrels, I'm not going to look at it. I'm sure he's laughing and shaking his head at me. Um, but I think when I do it well, um, I'll, I'll just kind of trickle it, you know, I'll float a thought, let it marinate for a week or two, and then come back to it. Now, a lot of times he doesn't want it to marinate. He wants, you know, more information, more details, more, more perspective. And I, I got to let him drive that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think playing the long con, <laughs> not the long con, the long game, <laughs> like the long, I think that's really important. I think be, giving him time, because there have been times when Bob will ask a lot of questions, you know, and he'll, he, I mean, he really, to his credit, he wants to investigate something. And there's times when I'm floating an idea and it sounds like he's just totally against it. And he's asking question after question after question, just like needling it and picking it apart. And it seems like he hates the idea. And then after the 48th question, he's like, okay, I like that. Let's do it. And you're thinking, what? Like, are you schizophrenic? How did you take such a, but I think as long as you can show him, hey, I've done my homework or I've thought this through or I've done the research search and I know this is I think he's willing to take a risk so I think you just you just can't go into something too determined and too pushy but you also have to know that you know you you have to bring some credibility to the conversation and not just a, a whim a thought on a whim it, but. well if you have a situation don't tell me the specifics of the situation where you, you gave a pitch Bob may have talked about it with you and asked the questions and said no I'm still gonna hold my ground how did that affect you? What'd yeah, you that's hard. That's hard. Because like I said, I'm, I'm pretty type A, so I'm, I can get pretty sure of my opinions really quick. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really hard. Um, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> How much detail do you want? <laughs> like, I, I, I want, I want, I transpar remember, I want transparency. So Bob is, uh, Bob is. Even down, uh, even down to the movies you watched that night. No. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob is very, um, He's real spontaneous, and I'm more of a planner. I like to, I would like to have our whole preaching calendar set for a year. Like, that's how I function, I think. Get our creative teams involved, give them time to plan and to think and to dream and to contribute. And Bob's more like... I can see Bob really flowing oh, with that, yeah. Bob, Bob's changing the notes on, you know, Saturday night, an hour before the service. And he changed them this morning, right? I mean, you just heard that, so... I, I remember one time in particular, and I was in youth ministry at the time, I was leading the youth ministry, and so I, because I had a little more latitude in youth ministry, I tend to plan really long term. And we had, I'd cleared an idea with them, I said, hey, here's the idea, here's the, yeah, absolutely, great, wonderful, whatever, you know, and it was six months out. So we planned and contributed and fundraised and t-shirt campaign and everything. And then about two weeks before, he's like, hey, you know what? I think the whole church is going to do a 40-day campaign right here. Youth, kids, everybody on the same. I'm like, 
well, Bob, I don't know if you remember. He's like, no, 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 this is important. We need to do this together. So it's like six months ago, you approved and we got that. You're like, no, 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 this is, this is what we got to do. And maybe a little bit more definitively than that. Um, and yeah, I was like, that's hard. That sucks. I mean, I was like, I was really pretty spun up. I don't remember who I yelled at, if it was, you know, my wife or Jesus or just myself in the mirror. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pain and there's that process of figuring out. That's where I come back to, okay, Jesus owns me. He called me to Great Falls. <laughs> I mean, sincerely. And there's times when I, I could even like camp on the I'm called the Great Falls thing and kind of leap over that idea that God knew that Bob was in Great Falls. Bob knew this church was in Great Falls and he actually called me to serve with Bob. And it's way easier to say, okay, I'm called to Great Falls and then let the Holy Spirit slowly lead me to I'm called to serve with Bob. But it takes time, yeah. Uh, what I like about Bob is he invites open, honest dialogue. And it doesn't always go the way you want, but he would want our relationship to be totally clear. So he would invite a revisiting of that, that pain, that agony, that frustration as many times as necessary yeah, he until it's be, totally clear. He wouldn't be offended by this conversation. Not at all, right no. Now. No, yeah, he, he knows. We've had, right. yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Excellent. You know, obviously... I'm asking that question because it is a common experience yeah. in support ministry. So, Lon, how do you deal with uh, how you approach, um, I'm in disagreement on something, and I want to maybe change Bob's mind, and, and how do you approach that? And, and if he hears you, that's great, but then also what happens when he doesn't maybe hear you on that one? Yeah, I think, I think I'll, I'll start a little bit at the end and, and it'll help explain my process. I think you do have to get to a place where when you're called to a place, you kind of got to drive the stake down right there and said, okay, this is my home. Right. This is family. This is, this is where I'm going to be. And uh, if you're able to do that, then, then your whole perspective changes. And um, you're looking for something better. This is better. This is what God picked, and this is where God aimed you. And and you live differently and you go through these kinds of questions a little bit differently. So one of the first things I ask myself when that situation comes up is in my own private prayer time, I'm asking, okay, what's your motive, Stokes? Hmm. Yeah. Is it for the church? Or how come you have a different opinion on this? Is, right. your, is there something working in you? I really have to ask myself that question because I, I'm, I'm like anybody, I have strong opinions about certain yeah. things. And, and um, I really have to examine that first. And, and how many of you know the Lord's really quick to tell you when it's not right? And uh, so that's my first thing. Then I, I, I go at it a little bit differently. My pastor's not quite as confrontive. He can confront uh, and does so when he needs to, but he doesn't like confrontation. So what I do is um, I, I try to get Bob in a place. We're, we're both outdoors guys. So I throw him in the pickup truck. And uh, we go up to a place uh, on a mountain about 10 miles from uh, close. You know, we can reach it. And it's a, a place where both of us pray sometimes. Mm -hmm. We just go up there to be alone and pray. And uh, because then I know uh, he, he's a bit ADD, just like I was. So then I know I can talk to him and he knows. I don't go up there for everything, by the way. I just a few times. We've made that trip up that hill. So, so he I knows save what it. you're doing. Yeah, when I you save start. it. I don't. I don't We're uh, in the truck again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, but uh, fortunately trips. for me, uh, he opens up. 
and he, he knows that it's something that's really on my heart and he'll listen to me and very good about listening. And, and I'll pour it out and uh, share with him what I think the dynamics are and how I think it'll affect it and the overall vision of the church. Um, I, I try as best I can. Not to, it's not about me. It's really not, you know. A lot of these things that we take so serious in six months, they're not. Right. We, they were huge at the time because we're human and we have emotions and we, um, we want to die on a hill that isn't worth dying on. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, and I hear it out and, and he'll hear it out and we'll talk about it and he won't always answer quickly. He'll think about it and um, almost every time uh, he's been able to come back and say, here's why I'm doing it. Or, you know, I think, I think there's a point there. I don't think we should. And fortunately, he'll, he'll get other input. He'll, he'll, he'll test that with right. uh, Pastor Kara or, or other people close in his life. And uh, we generally, he's a consensus guy, to, to, which is wonderful. Because whenever possible, he'll try to get consensus. And, uh, and so we come at, we come at uh, resolve that way generally through consensus. If not, then, then that's the way it goes, you know. And I have to, this is my home. I don't want to mess up my living room. I'm going to be living here a while. Hmm. So if that's the way we're going to go, I can lean over the plate and take one for the team. And here's, here we are, you know. Hmm. It's okay. You know, if we get on base somehow, even if it, if it wasn't the way I thought we should get on base, we're all the better for it. So sure. that's yeah. kind of how I handle it, you know. Cool. Don? I don't know if you guys know, but J.O. can be intense. Um, <clears throat> but I, I never question the, uh, the motive behind his intent with an idea or something like that. I tend to be more of a reconciler on the staff. Uh, we do have some other very passionate people on the staff. And so J.O. And, and they will, will, you know, just have a disagreement about how, how do we get to the same end. And so um, I tend to be a, a, just a diplomat. And so J.O. and I, I don't, I can't think of any times where we've really had, where we've butted heads. Um, again, I support his vision. It's not my vision, it's his vision. Uh, and so I support that and I trust that. And I, I know that he, what his goal is, is to seek and to save the lost. How we do that. Now, I may do it differently, but, but he is who he is. And that is who God has placed me under to support and, and to, to work with. Um, but we, we, are, we are made up of a very passionate group of people that love Jesus more passionately than they love their own ideas. And so in the end, it's really about what is going to achieve the objective and not about whose name is signed underneath right. the That's project. Right. And so um, it, it, it's, it can get uncomfortable in staff meetings and things like that. Um, but again, there's not a single person on our team that questions the why. We may just question the how. Cool. Very cool. All right. We've still got some time because I haven't heard any lead pastors out there. So, Craig, you got the Roman mic. You have a question for this panel. Just uh, raise your hand when he gives you the mic. I want you to stand up. And I want you to ask the question standing up so we can recognize who you are. There we go. Let's... What would you say the most important aspect of discipling others is? I'd say a relationship. You really can't have discipleship without relationship. And if it's 
it's not, if it's not relational, then I don't think it's real discipleship. So I think creating a network, depending on the size of your church, creating a network of relationship is really critical that you're not just transferring biblical information and mm-hmm. principles, but you're really helping people to see the word of God alive in their life in relationship. Yeah, I'd have to say the same, same kind of thing that we, we almost earn the right to disciple yeah. people when we build trust with them. And uh, I think it's more caught than taught. Yeah. I do think we teach. Uh, we have to teach to become disciples. We have to, we have to become learners to be discipled. But I think we really earn the right to go deep and actually impart to people when we spend time with them and actually build trust between us. Um, so that's the first thing we look for. We, we try to get connecting first so that the people build trust and then they open up their heart and they're able to hear where we're going with it. And I would say that creating a culture of discipleship means that it's not J.O. discipling every individual person in the church. And, and as, as lead pastors and support pastors, we don't have the time or virtue to individually disciple everybody. So we have to create a discipleship culture where the, the discipleship is lateral, not from the top down. And so equipping people to be able to disciple other people that are at the same place as themselves is really important. I also think that discipleship takes on different forms. There's discipling people in ministry, and that's on the job training. The key word there is with. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I've been in both with Pastor Frank and, and Brother Dick, and I've been with them for years in meetings. I know how each one of them thinks and responds. Someone can say, well, this is what they would do. <laughs> I would never do that. Because I've been in scenarios, I've been with them, and we kind of mm-hmm. learn as we go. They yeah. might throw an editorial at me, or they would give a thought to me, and I yeah. collect that thought as we go, as we do ministry together. Mm-hmm. That's one. Sometimes discipleship's a, a, a beginning and an end. You're going to study a book together. We're going to go through a financial program together. I'm going to take you through the New Testament on this particular curriculum, and we're going to start here and finish here. And It's a form of discipleship that way. It takes on different, different forms. Good question. Yeah. Name's Raymond, and I'm uh, new to ministry. And uh, I had a question for the executive pastor. How do you discern what you handle and what you give to the pastor when, you're, when your congregation approaches you? Great question. Um, it, it is that is a great question, and and you, your pastor, you have to know what their virtue is. You have to know um, where their strengths are, and then you you can um, through time and experience kind of become a gatekeeper, if you will. Not not because they live in an ivory tower, but because you're safeguarding and protecting the virtue. Um, if you're like. Here, we, we do three services, a Saturday, and we were at four until we came in here. And so it was pretty spent. And so uh, we, would, we would try to protect the virtue because we know that uh, a lot of where God has him spend that is congregationally. Uh, and so you'll have a lot of people call, I need to talk to the pastor. And so we try to create a culture where, where well, we have lots of staff pastors that would be happy to, to meet with you or to discuss your question. And so you have to know your, your leader. You have to know where their strengths and their virtue is and, and really where, when they get to E. You have to know when that is so that they never get to that point. Does that answer your question? Yes and no. Okay.
I, I think that that's where the, the, the pastor needs to be able to say no. Um, there are certain people that I think that kind of have an, uh, an automatic in, uh, staff pastors and elders. I would never presume to prevent them from coming to, to the lead pastor. That's where, now if the lead pastor came to me and said, wow, it really seems like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with, with, uh, with Sam, you know, then it, it may be where I need to do some coaching or something, but I, I that's something they kind of have an in, and because of that relationship piece that uh, uh, Lon was talking about, and so again, just knowing your lead, your pastor, and having open communication, he needs to be able to trust you to be able to communicate these things to you. Let me let me answer that as a lead pastor uh, of yeah. a fairly large church. If one of my staff or my elders, I mean, they were offended, they're angry. Like I had one ministry share with me that's working with another ministry that they want to step out. They're just frustrated with this other member. I want to know about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, those, those are things that really fall out. They were having family problems, real issues, or a real bone to pick with the church or something, or something was taught. Those big issues, yeah. I want to know. Mm -hmm. I want to know. If it's system, if it's decisions of procedure, though it needs to take place, you need to have systems in place. And what people like to do is they like to go around the system to bend me. Hmm. And I was causing great frustration for the rest of the team underneath me because I was giving green lights was making their world miserable. Hmm. And so be very careful when people want to bypass the system to bend the pastor that would cause frustration <laughs> for the team. Hmm. That you can't allow. That's where you block. That's great. Good question. That's a guy that's in the middle of it. On the discipleship track, how do you guys create a, uh, a culture of small groups? And are those, are, is, do, you have, do you feel that you have a strong culture of small groups? And how do you create that? Well, personally, for us, we have a number of different venues for that. We have uh, what we call life groups, uh, where we connect at different levels. Some are deeper Bible teaching. Um, focused kind of discipleship group other just a starting place to build relationships so we can get to discipleship but they're all part of the discipleship process then um, uh, men have uh, breakouts of, of 10 to 12 men where there's like a care pastor for them working at their table they bring discipleship that way uh, to that particular demographic and and then we're about ready to kick off a, an intern program that is going to disciple at another level we have a, another adult discipleship program called impact that disciples at a different level so we have for us we're kind of a hodgepodge we've got uh four or five different venues that try to reach people in a discipleship way it's one of the places where we feel like we really have to strengthen ourselves uh we've been we've been um God's helped us to get people in. We can get them in, and we can generally get them to first base, but then to strengthen them and to make them disciples, to get them in scoring position, that's really what God has us working on right now. And, and so we're in the throes of trying different things. Some of them are working, some of them not so well. We've got a tweaking, but for us, we're kind of a hodgepodge of different things um, to get people discipled in our church. Cool. Yeah, I think we have a really healthy small group system, and... I think there's different ways to approach it for sure. Uh, I would recommend reading the book Sticky Church by Larry Osborne. I think you'd learn a ton from that, a lot of practical wisdom. It's what we're currently employing now. We're actually really thrilled with it. So 
I could waste a lot of time describing it, but it's a long book. So. Now, I want to say we, we equate small groups with discipleship, and that's not necessarily yeah. the case. Mm-hmm. A lot of small groups are more just community support, encouragement. We actually use a definition. What's a community group? It's where you're receiving and giving encouragement. It's not necessarily discipleship. Discipleship is when you're when you have a learner-teacher scenario. That could be one-on-one. That could be short-term, long-term. That could be also one-on-five. And that could be also in a group. When you're teaching a class on total money makeover, let's just say, you're really discipling those people in a principle of managing finance. You are. You're discipling them in that area. This thing, if he is my discipler and I'm his disciple, we're we're disciples of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, in that, we do disciple. I have a Timothy group. Bobby and Risha were part of that when they were with us before we gave them over to this church. And uh, we did it with joy. <laughs> and we were, we were not feeling bad about it at all. Uh, so I have a discipleship group where I have young leaders in my house on a Friday night once a month. And I, 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 I've chosen a, a particular curriculum, a, le- a leader's guide to, um, oh, to, to discover their calling. And uh, uh, we've used that curriculum. There's exercise they do just to help them discern their calling. And then I always have something I share out of my heart that's just I want to give them about life and ministry. So I do that. But, you know, that's a form of discipleship. There's other people all the time. Obviously, the people who carry more responsibility, I have a higher priority to pour into one-on-one. How's your soul? How's your heart? How's your wife? You know, how are your dreams? What are you doing? You know, I just talked with my youth pastor just uh, Sunday night because he's got an incredible word of knowledge gift and a, and a great prophetic gift. I said, I want to exercise that more in the church. I'm going to ask some things out of you. That's discipleship. It's bone to bone. It's organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people come to you, will you disciple me? Well, what's that look like? Let's mm-hmm. de- define yeah. what that would yeah. look like. Sometimes it's going through a book together. It has different forms. So we think, well, they have a classroom in there, and, and the teacher's teaching 20 people. That's not discipleship. That is discipleship. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think they were doing? I mean, Jesus said, what, teach them whatsoever I commanded you. Okay, make disciples out of them. So it's one-on-twenty, one-on-two, one-on-one. It's okay. discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so we put it kind of like in one format, and we think we have a small group. You're all going to be discipled. I think if we did that, everybody's going to be discipled, so... We're going to assign you to these groups, and we're going to go to this group, and that's your discipler. It has to happen real naturally, right, yeah. real right. naturally. And I do believe in the Jesus model of discipleship, but we got to kind of, he only discipled people for three and a half years. I don't like the ownership thing and the rigidity of what that looks like, mm-hmm. as long as we're trying to be followers of Christ. Yeah. Good questions. Any more? Well, we're going to consider ourselves at 1.38 p.m. Finished. Great session. Would you thank the panel for a great job? <laughs>